0: Good morning, everybody. And uh, I was doing a study on the generations because you know I like to do that stuff. Maybe you didn't know that, but if you didn't, my name's Rob, and I like to study generations. So I'm looking at the new generation that's emerging, and they're you know some people call them Gen Z, some people call them now I guess the new term is the I because they were born with screens in their hand apparently. But the funny thing is that if you they shop because they're coming of age to to shop and spend money, the first thing they purchase is a cell phone and then when they go to a store they have all done all their research but here's the interesting thing they still like to go to the mall i mean I guess the generation before them still liked to go to the mall, and certainly the Gen X generation liked to go to the mall. So I just find this fascinating that, you know, as soon as the mall appeared, even though three generations have now come, people still have this experience of going to the mall. It made me think about when I had the experience of getting to go to the mall without my parents. It was quite fun. Um, and we're walking through the mall, and there's this kiosk where people are doing this. They get like all kinds of creepy, weird eyes, and they're kind of moving back and forth. And as we get closer, there's not some gimmick going of flying things. Um, Sorry. (laughs) But there's these pictures on the wall. I think we're going to actually put one up like this. And people are going. And they look absolutely ridiculous. I don't know if you were at the mall when these things came out, but... There's hordes of people around, and so all of a sudden I'm making fun of them, and then they're like, "Here, try it." And I, I said, "Well, what am I supposed to do?" And they're said, "Well, you just you look at the picture, and then you look." at the picture, like through the picture, and then you see this magic image that will just pop out. And I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a picture inside the picture. You just have to look at it hard enough. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. And so they're like, "We'll try it. So I stand there, and they say, you know, get closer. So I get closer. And, and then they're like, okay, now slowly back up. Okay, cross your eyes a little. and Now, I'm, I look ridiculous, and people are walking by making fun of me, and I'm frustrated because I can't do it, and they're like, well, you have to do this, and you have to, I wasn't really paying attention to what they were saying because I just wanted to find the image that was in there. I wasn't really willing to, you know, listen to them or anything, but, you know, where you stand and where you look makes an incredible difference in these magic eye pictures. And then there was this moment where I finally got it. I don't know if you remember these and if you finally got one, but it really was kind of amazing because all of a sudden this 3D vibrant picture just kind of lifts off the page. And all of a sudden, it's got depth. It's moving as I move. It's, it's in three dimensions in this two-dimensional photo. And I was so, literally, I was so enamored with this idea that I got one of these It's 18 by 24 or bigger, and it hung throughout high school, it hung on my wall. And to some people, you could just see the pink and the purple and the blue pixels that were all over it, but to me, because I'd finally figured out how to do this. To me, there was this majestic eagle inside it with its wings spread high and wide and with a giant fish in its talons and it was soaring right over its nest ready to drop the the fish into this huge nest that was at the top of this tallest tree amongst this forest and mountains and even the, the sun in the background and these eaglets that had their mouths open like ready to take the food from this eagle and it was 20 years ago. I mean, it's been at least 15 years since I've actually looked at this photo, this image, this picture, if you will, and it has burned in my mind. I was so impressed with this idea. I, it so struck me. It, to have something that was two-dimensional all of a sudden become three-dimensional, I don't know if I'll ever, ever forget that picture. But it took me changing my location, and changing how I saw that picture to actually see the picture. And today, as we continue our story, continue this series in, in Exodus, what I think we'll see, or what, this story of Epic, what I think we'll see is the place we occupy impacts our picture of God. The place that you occupy impacts your picture of God. And as you kind of thinking about that, you know, just like the magic eye photos, people miss the picture because of where they're standing and where they're looking. And the same thing happens. Think about if you've had a conversation with somebody and you've finally gotten to this level. You didn't grow up together, really. You didn't go to church together. You've uh, developed this relationship as an adult. And all of a sudden, you kind of get to go to the realm of spiritual things, you kind of get to have conversations about God. Have you ever had the experience where you finally get to this place where you get to talk about God and all of a sudden they give you this picture of God that, that you've just n- never really heard before? Maybe this picture that God is mean this picture of, of kind of question of why would God put up all these barriers? It seems like, you know, throughout, I've tried to read the Bible, and throughout the Old Testament, God just puts barriers up. And what about all the rules? Why does he keep making all the rules? I, I mean, if he knows that we're going to break the rules, then why, why would he even put those in place? I just don't understand that. He just seems like a God that's out to get you. Maybe you've had those thoughts. If you have, have you ever gotten satisfying answers? And if you've been in the conversation and someone's finally gone there, have you been able to give responses? See, in the same way, people have these pictures of God that, that, aren't, that aren't full. They're limited. And when people open up and actually ask, do we have the ability to paint that picture a little bit more fuller? We'll see that that's what God was trying to do all along, but the place we occupy impacts our perspective of God. So we've been in this series called Epic, if you've been here, and we've looked at how the Bible's just really one primary plot, and how God inspired each of these books, and they weave together in this giant mural that, that once we see the whole thing, actually starts to make sense. So we looked at the first part of the Bible called creation, where God intended what He intended to be, and then crisis, this idea that we rebelled against that, and then how God called human beings to participate in this plan to get us back, and then how He gave promises. To people, even though they kept screwing up, and finally how he delivered them. That's what Chad gave us last week on how he delivered them from oppression and and from the most powerful empire in the world at the time, Egypt. And it says in Exodus fourteen that this is how God rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. And when the people saw the mighty power that God had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in, their Lord, in the Lord and their servant Moses. This, this um, particular scripture highlights the two perspectives that are always going on in the, in the story. There's God's perspective, the epic story that's up here that's outside of time and space. It's kind of a vertical viewpoint, if you will, when it says that the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, and then the Lord, then the people put their faith in the Lord. These are kind of invisible qualities or superseding qualities, but then there's also the lower story or the human story. That's kind of from the six foot, six foot perspective. It's limited by time and space, and we get glimpses of both here. When the Israelites saw the bodies, they realized the power of God and they put their faith in the Lord. That's the human side. And so there's always these two sides. And often we have one or the other, but we don't have both. And that's important because the place that we occupy impacts that picture of God. We'll take a look at it here. As these people get to this place where they've been rescued from Egypt, God leads them to a mountain. It's the same mountain that God talked to Moses on where there's this burning bush, except it doesn't burn up. And he says, I'm the Lord. I don't know. I always imagine it like deeper and fuller and richer. And then he says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And Moses kind of freaks out at this little bush that's burning. I imagine it's little. We don't really know, but bushes aren't that tall. So that's the same mountain that now the people are at, okay? That's important because there's three places that they view God from in this picture. And so the people come to this mountain, and the Lord says to them in Exodus 19, he says, you yourselves, tell this, Moses, tell this to the people. You yourselves have seen what I've done in Egypt and how I rescued you or carried you on eagle's wings and how I brought you to myself. And now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession, like my prized people. Although the whole earth is mine and I could choose any people I want, I'm choosing you, people of Israel, to be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. So Moses goes down the mountain, tells the people, and they're like, yeah, that sounds awesome, we'll do that, more or less. And so, the peop- so then Moses goes back up the mountain, says to God, hey, this is what the people said, and God says, we are going to meet So go tell the people to prepare, and on the third day, I will come down on the mountain, says in Exodus 19, 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, and a thick cloud covered the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. You should try and picture that. I don't know how many of you go out and stand in thunderstorms for fun. I don't recommend it, but... Uh, Growing up in a very flat part of the country, we were told that if you were outside and there was thunder, that you should get down, because lightning likes to strike tall things. And I remember one time when I was driving through a very flat part of the country, and a lightning struck, my wife and I contested, because we were just barely married, and I think it was 150 feet away or so, you know, within 5 feet, and she thinks that I'm crazy. But it was close, and it cracked down on this small tree, and it shattered the tree, and it burned in, in that moment. And I'm like, whoa, that is, that's power. And in this moment, God says, I'm going to come in this ominous, dark, thick cloud. There's going to be thunder. There's going to be lightning. There's going to be such loud blasts or loud noises that all you can describe it as the trumpet sounds and everyone in the camp trembles. And so what do they do? Moses takes them out of camp to the mountain towards where they see the cloud looming and the thunder going and the lightning going and the trumpets going. And in that moment, it says that in verse 18, Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord had descended on the mountain in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. And at the sound of the trumpet, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God, the voice of God, answers him. I don't know what he said, but we know that what God said was more or less the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who has rescued you from Egypt. Have no other gods before me. Do not make idols. And so on and so on and so on. And God finishes these instructions and it says that when the people saw the thunder and the lightning, this is Exodus 20, verse 18, if you're following in your Bible. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, when they heard the trumpet and they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear and they stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses respectfully gives the answer to God. And so God says, All right, Moses, come on up. And he gives the rest of the instructions to Moses. We see them in the rest of Exodus, we see them in Leviticus, um, and we see them again in Deuteronomy. But in those moments he he highlights again, do not make idols. He says, You've seen yourselves Israel, tell Israel that you've seen yourselves, that I have spoken from heaven. Do not make any other gods alongside me. And then he says, do make altars for sacrificial offerings. And then he says, and this is how I want you to treat people, because they're God's people. They're not Pharaoh's property anymore. They're not slaves. They actually are human beings. And he gives people who've never had standards, standards, And then he tells them how to live in a rhythm of work and rest and celebration because, again, they've never had that. And then after the people make these sacred promises to God, he gives them detailed instructions on how to make a sacred place, like a holy tent, a portable temple, if you will, that God can dwell in daily. Because apparently God has a deep desire to be with his people. And this is where we see... In Exodus 24, the place, how the place you occupy impacts your perspective or your picture of God. Because in Exodus 24, we get three pictures. We get Moses on the mountain. We'll see it in verse 18. We'll see it in verse 18. Yeah, there we go. And then, we'll read that in a second. Then we see the people who are down below, a safe distance away. And then we actually see the elders and the leaders who've come up for this sacred dinner and they have just come down the mountain so we're going to look at each because each of them see a different picture of God Moses is up on the mountain and what does he see It's in verse 18 He sees a cloud to Moses on the mountain, the picture of God is this thick cloud. It says in verse 16 that when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Sinai, and for six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Have you ever been to the Seattle area? Anybody like, love Seattle, know Seattle. Well, Seattle has this saying, because in Seattle, it's sleepless, but it's also cloudy and rainy most of the time. But on those rare days that it's not cloudy and rainy, there's this, there's this saying that people have. Oh, the mountain's out, because across the Puget Sound is this towering Mount Rainier. You can see it in the background in this picture, and you don't see it very often. For a lot of people, if they go to Seattle and it's cloudy, it's like the mountain's not even there. And the same kind of experience is going on, I think, in here. Moses had to wait six days to hear from God, and I think it might be significant that God doesn't speak until the day of rest, till the seventh day. I wonder what Moses is doing, because I imagine if I was sitting in a cloud, I would start to get frustrated I don't know if you've had to drive through fog before and, or if you had to walk through fog before and you just wish it would get out of the way because when it's foggy, you can't see. And when you can't see, it's hard to go places. It's hard to know where you are and where you're going. And that's where Moses is. He's experiencing God by not seeing anything. Because sometimes in order to see God, we have to lose the ability to see everything else. And that's this encounter that Moses is having for 40 days and 40 nights. He's in this life altering encounter with God. His face, when he comes down from these moments with God, it says throughout the text that his face glows. I never really got that at first. Of course it's glowing. Where is he? He's on top of a mountain, and it's a blazing fire. Maybe that's where they got that that phrase, you know, when people are super passionate about God, like, whoa, they're on fire. Like, I don't know. But the fire is incredibly bright, and when you're in incredibly bright places, you are totally exposed. And when you are exposed, you are fully known. And in this thick, dark, dense cloud... Moses is in a place of, dare I say, enlightenment, where he's fully known. This is how Moses is experiencing God. And maybe, maybe you've experienced God this way, too. Like you've had this profound but yet mysterious experience, and you, you try to describe it to people, and they just look at you weird, like, like you're the magic eye photo. And in those moments, I would just encourage you that God knows. He knows the experience you've had. And keep telling your experience to people. Keep living in those moments because some of those people might never experience God except through you. Keep going through your everyday life knowing that you've had that experience with God. Your picture of God from the place you are occupying will impact other people. I would love to stop there, but I can't. Because most of us don't have that experience with God. Most of us are far too much like the people that are a safe distance away. We see that verse in verse 17 about how the people who were seeing, about how the people saw God a safe distance away at the bottom of the mountain. Do you see it? How do they see God? Consuming fire. Like, I picture a bonfire that you've, you've piled t- timbers in, you've piled trees in, you've piled branches in, and it's huge, and it's blazing, and it's consuming. That's how the people are picturing this. And Moses is gone for 40 days and 40 nights. What would you think if the person who led you out of a place of oppression was hiking up a mountain where this cloud came over, and all you hear is thunder, and all you see is lightning, and there's loud noises that sound like trumpets, and the f- place is on fire? Like, that boy's dead. And that's what we see. We see that as Moses is getting this these instructions from God. He's being taught by God. He's having this life-changing encounter with God that the people say, um, I think it's in verse 30, or chapter 32 here, this is the next moment that the people are involved. The people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain that they came up to Aaron, Moses' brother, the person, one of the two people that he left in charge, and he said, hey, come make us gods who will go before us because this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Which I find funny. I like, think we don't know where he is. So make us gods so that we can see them, who will go before us, who will go before us is a Hebrew expression of saying, "Be present with us." And when he says, make us gods, it's actually Elohim, which could be plural or could be singular. And when God corrects them and Moses comes down the mountain, he does not say, do not worship any other gods before me. He actually says, you made idols. You made a form of God to represent my presence here. Do you see the irony? They already had a form of God. They already had a picture of God. They just didn't like the picture of God. The picture of God was this consuming fire on top of this mountain where thunder was going and lightning was going. It was scary, I imagine. It was freaking them out. It was far too powerful and far too unpredictable. And so they said, let's make a form of God that we can can see, that we can touch, that we can control. That's the picture of God we want. Don't tell, us, don't tell us another picture of God. We got it. This works. You might not have a golden calf sitting around your house because that's what they made. But I think some of you have experienced faith this way. You want to be a safe distance from God because he's far too powerful and far too unpredictable to be close. You want to have this picture and you have it, and all of a sudden you realize that that picture of God that you can see and you can touch and you can control, it is just becoming increasingly dissatisfying because that kind of a picture of God that you can see and you can touch and you control, that's, if you're a safe distance away, let me tell you that it will always lead to a dissatisfying picture of God because that's not who he is. Kind of a picture of God have you had before? I hear some people talk about God being this resident policeman that's either out here or like speaking into their conscious like a guy on their shoulder, and he's just looking to arrest them or make them feel guilty for anything they say or do. I hear other people talk about God as this feeble but old and wise grandfather. I mean, there's a lot of old stories, and people who are old are usually wise, but this picture is so limited because a feeble grandfather can't possibly understand the challenges of the modern day. Hear other people talk about God being this powerful but egotistical ruler, only interested in his glory, and, and he just, you know, is going to come and smite humans that don't give it to him. It's not good. Hear other people talk about God being this absolute perfectionism. You know, Jesus even walked around saying, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. And God, you know, even the church says, if you aren't perfect, then you're a sinner and you're going to hell. So God is this absolute perfectionism. And then people walk around with this fake self during church, and then they have this other self for the rest of the week. And if they don't do that, they just walk around in utter anxiousness because God knows that they're not perfect and someday they're just gonna be found out. And then the last one that I see quite a bit is this idea that God is this distant but disinterested cosmic director that's powerful, but just far too busy and far too important to have time for me or my problems. Each of these pictures is flat, is, is like the magic eye photo that hasn't been discovered yet. And what I would say the solution is, is is not to just figure out how we can get a better picture. God was the same in each of these locations. We haven't gotten to the third one yet, but God was the same in each of these locations, and what people needed to do was listen to each other and listen to God as teacher to get the fuller picture. Let the one who created life help us understand how to do life. I mean, what we see here is that is that God deeply cared and deeply wanted to be with these people? And in the whole golden calf moment, like where the people are like, make us gods, Aaron, and Aaron gets a bad rap because Aaron's like, I don't know, I just they handed me their stuff and like I'll pop the cap. And and the problem is that third people, those elders who had a dinner with God on the mountain. You see it in Exodus twenty four, nine through eleven. It says, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and all the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw saw the God of Israel. And here's how they could describe him by what was under his feet. Lapis luzu, which is like sapphire bricks that are the color of the sky. (laughs) I mean, God is so majestic that they can't even get past what's under his feet To me, that is a mystifying but far more satisfying picture than a golden calf that I can touch and I can feel and I can control so that I feel like God's with me. These are the people that see God, that have a moment with God, that eat and drink in His presence and don't die. They are right there with Aaron when the people are like, make us gods. I mean, the only thing I can imagine all the language is this marriage preparation dinner that we just don't have time to go into, but Imagine a U.N. Peace Summit. Just go with me for a minute. We're almost there. Imagine a U.S. Peace Summit where, you know, leaders from United States, Canada, the European Union, Russia, will throw Israel in there, but also Iran, North Korea, um, uh, Syria, China, you know, little countries that have lots of nuclear power, they're all gathered around a table, and you were invited there. And they're going to talk about peace and hopefully not kill each other. Maybe that overwhelming moment makes these people go passive. Because these are the people that have had an encounter with God, that can describe it, because they do, just a little and as the people say, we want a God that we can touch and we can control and we can feel, they just sit silently and do nothing. And I think a lot of us might have that kind of a faith experience. Because maybe you've had moments where you've had 3D images of God lift off the page. You've had these vibrant images of God. You've had these fuller pictures of God. You understand what God is trying to do here. You see the commandments not as a way to make us achieve a certain credit with God, like we can get a paycheck, or not as just rules that are meant to keep us restricted, but that God is actually teaching a group of runaway, rescued slaves to be his children. It's like they've been adopted from another country. And now God is saying, you're already in our family. We just want to teach you how to be in our family in a healthy way. And you understand, maybe you understand and see that God included these sacrifices and festivals as a way for these people to understand not only the seriousness of sin, but a way to be back in restored relationship with him that that's why he presented those things. And maybe you can see that God gave these detailed, careful instructions for a tabernacle or a holy place or a sacred place, a sanctuary, because God wanted to be with them, God with us. The whole tabernacle instruction that is the rest of Exodus that I go, oh, that's long, is God saying, I want to be Emmanuel, God with you. And if you've had these moments, if this is your location with God, if this is your picture of God, then maybe God is calling you to act. Because there's people that have these limited pictures that want to make forms of God that they can control. There's other people who have these mysterious pictures of God that are really hard to describe, and, and they seem like too spiritual. You might be one of these leader, elder people that has nothing to do with age, that has everything to do with having a glimpse of God doesn't matter how big or how small it's been, if you've had a glimpse and you've seen God as this good, good father, as the one who wants to give life, not keep it away, God's calling you to share it through word and deed. That's what I see here. I mean, God's plan was to bring these people back to a personal relationship with him. He's already shown his presence. He's already shown his power, but He wants to be in this personal relationship. Exodus 25 says, have them make a sanctuary, a sacred place for me, so that I can dwell among them. He continues, then I will dwell among the people, the Israelites, and be their God. They will know that I'm the Lord who brought them out of Egypt, that I might dwell with them. That I am the Lord their God. This is family language. This is goodness language. God wants to stay with these people and be their God. And the people didn't understand it. That's why God sent Jesus Christ as Emmanuel, who dwelt with people, who went up on a mountain and transfigured himself in front of his closest disciples, and they didn't really get it either. Do you want us to build, Peter, do you want Jesus to build these monuments for you and Elijah and Moses? Like, this is the same language as that. No, Jesus is displaying his power and his presence and his plan to get us back because he's Emmanuel. If you've had a picture that God is saying, share it. Share that multidimensional picture. And if you don't have it, now how can you get it? If you have a Bible, your assignment, your next step, if you will, if I dare I say I tell you what to do, but I think this is where God is leading us, is when Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? This is the one he quotes. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. And if you're a person who needs to write stuff down to remember it, this is the one to remember. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. If you have version on your phone app, like highlight it, bookmark it, and read it every day this week. Because Jesus answers this way when he asks the most important commandment. This is the one that the people were to repeat three times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Because these commandments I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands, not literally, figuratively. Have these conversations, have these pictures go amongst you in your ordinary, everyday life. And as you do, you will learn from people People will learn from you, and together we will have this three-dimensional picture of God because spending time with God and in his word helps us to see that picture that he wants to give us, that he is that good, good father. I love how the message says this part. He says, get these things inside of you and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning till the time you fall asleep at night. Not to be weird, but to help people see who God really is. Because we all need reminders of who God really is. Do you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word and for your spirit, and for pictures that are multidimensional, that are vibrant, that are good. Forgive us when we paint you as limited. Forgive us when we form images of you that are safe so that we can feel you and control you. God, help us to step up as your people. Not better, not because we're elders or leaders, but because we've seen a glimpse of you. And, we're, and we see it's good. Because people need to know who you are. They need to know what you've done and really how you love. Thank you for a plan to get us back. Thank you for the displays of your power and your presence with us. Help us to never take it for granted. We love you, God.